In this week's race, a Spaniard chases a bull around a park in Canada. Michael 2.0, but this time, Hamilton and Verstappen survive. And Groundhog selfishly decide not to become martyrs to make the Grand Prix more interesting. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Undercut Podcast. This time we are back to review the Canadian Grand Prix and I'm joined as always by my two co-hosts, Jesse Billington and Ellie Mae Taylor. How are you both? I'm not doing too badly. It's been a nice sunny day. I've been sat at my desk in the sunshine, just, just enjoying life. Day in the life of Jesse and you, Ellie Mae, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Today's been pretty non-stop. Didn't even get a lunch break at work, but we're here. <laughs> well, you're having your lunch break now at five past eight in the evening, so better late than that. <laughs> and it is not just the three of us this week. We have a guest. No, it's not Jacob Phillips. We found someone different for a change, and thank God for that. And it is Nibula Tejpa, rally driver, podcast host, and all-round great person. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Yeah, all pretty solid. Pretty good. So we will launch into... What the hell has happened, which just straight away get into it, we're not wasting any time. And <clears throat> excuse me, Formula One, it's going off to Australia, which it kind of already was, but it's going there until 2035 with a massive contract extension, which I'm very happy about. We'll get to you guys in a second because that's not the only Australia rated news because Formula Two and Formula Three will be going there from next year as well which is something that I have been wanting for absolutely ages. And with some Aussies on the grid this year and with Oscar Piastri very likely to be getting a seat in F1 next year, even more perfect timing, potentially two Aussies on the F1 grid for next year, plus a couple in the feeder series, is I'm pretty darn happy about it. What are your thoughts about it? Anyone taken away? I'm quite excited for it. Australia provided some good racing this year. We saw some pretty close battles, especially through the midfield. And if F1 was vaguely exciting, it usually means F2 and F3 are going to be sort of mind-shatteringly exciting, even if we do have to get up at uh, what I've written in my notes as a mind-shattering time. That that uh, was my second thought. My first thought was yippee and second, oh God, no, (laughs) what time? Yeah, the time difference is going to be a bit of a killer there for any European fans of Formula 2 and Formula 3, but uh, it's going to be exciting, and uh, I think it's good Undercut to... Undercut podcast goes to Melbourne. Would that just be easier? Yeah, if we went to where the sport is, I think we ought to start looking at doing that instead. Yeah, I definitely think it'll be exciting. I mean, yeah, Australia always provides good races, but I think you're just going to have to pull an all-nighter, aren't you? Just don't sleep. Well, I had to do that for a while for F1, but if I was going to do it for any Grand Prix, I would do it for Melbourne. What about you, Nabila? Are you a fan of the Melbourne circuit? I, it's not one of my favourites, but it's always pretty exciting. For me, it was more of a all-nighter anyway, because it was at 2am out here. So yeah. I definitely recommend that rather than going to sleep and waking up. So, so if it's already 2am for you, you're going to be definitely awake for the F2 and the F3 at this rate anyway. I'm not... I'm a person that goes to bed at 10 o'clock, so I'm not going to lie, the 2 a.m. was rough, but I took a little nap between like 12 and half one and then woke up for the race. (laughs) Going to be some strategic pit stop length of naps I feel like are going to be needed here. Yeah, definitely. Well, that is not the only F2, F3 related news, as we just got news today that Jehan Garubula is going to be doing an F1 test with McLaren, which is interesting considering he's a Red Bull junior driver. And... I think it could be his last chance at home. Maybe this is just McLaren being nice and they want to give him a test drive and just so he gets to feel like what it is in an F1 car again because at the moment, his F2 season, it's going all right, but for how long he's been there, it's not. he's losing a bit of momentum, I think, and maybe stick him in IndyCar instead. So it might just be a... Maybe McLaren are looking for that and we'll just smuggle him into the McLaren ranks that way because, let's face it, Red Bull have quite a few spares. Well, I also think it's probably because all F1 teams have to have a rookie test in both of their cars, so they need somebody. So why not him? That's not a fair point either. It makes a fair amount of sense. Obviously, they've got to meet their sort of quota, their recommendation of how many sort of junior drivers they have through but obviously, stick him in IndyCar 
how long before Red Bull sets up an IndyCar team? Just they've got something to do with this glut of F2 and F3 drivers they've got coming through. They just have nowhere to put them. They're sort of going to go, uh, have you heard of IndyCar? And it's, it's, it's kind of the awkward double-edged sword, really. Do they do that with IndyCar, Formula E, or both? Because, again, like you say, they've got a Swiss. It's like, we know you want F1, but also, look at this nice shiny thing over here. Can we interest you in this? It's single-seater. That's good. Start. <laughs> good. Good news is you're in single-seater. Bad news is it's not Formula 1. Yeah. Well, it yeah. could be worse. We could have set up a NASCAR team. <clears throat> I was just about to say, it's McLaren need two drivers for Formula E. Yes, but I want to be unpopular there just to annoy you anyway and say one of them is going to be Daniel Ricciardo at the rate this, this is going. He's yeah, that's here. For next year. He's a McLaren driver, just not necessarily in F1. Yeah, no. that. I don't want it either, but I'm just I've got to say these things. The rumours have died down. <laughs> so, so can you. <laughs> I think IndyCar's an awesome series, though. Like, I'll be honest, I knew nothing about IndyCar until I went to a race earlier this year. And it's really exciting. Honestly, it makes F1 look kind of boring based on the amount of competitive. Like, actual competition there is like let's face it you've got three teams that could maybe make a win in f1 at the moment whereas in indycar you can have any of like 11 or 12 race like drivers to win and it's all so we've had really six exciting. different winners from eight races so far yeah exactly in very 2012 f1 which is what we're trying desperately to get back to but we aren't there yet yeah and i think it's a great series for people to kind of feed into like i don't think it would be well, nowadays, anyway, going into <coughs> IndyCar, I don't see it as being the end-all, be-all, missing out on F1. I think they've got much more opportunity to kind of grow. And with more foreign competitors moving into IndyCar, there's more chances of foreign races again. So, yeah. Maybe Derubla to McLaren IndyCar isn't that far-fetched an idea after all. I'm really losing my touch on world predictions. Yeah, I mean, I know we often poo-poo IndyCar a little bit on the podcast, but I've been following it this season and it has proved to be absolutely fantastic. And it's a good watch. It's a nice, not necessarily a wind down from Formula One because I've really got my hopes up for um, Grosjean this season. He's been doing some pretty good moves. He's made some good points on track. He's going to win before signs at this rate. He could have it. And it, it's just a nice sort of follow-on from Formula One. Like the F1 finishes, I watch a bit of the post-race stuff and then I swap over to IndyCar and got more entertainment for the rest of the afternoon and evening i'm like excellent it's a good series and i feel obviously callum eilot's been a bit of a test in the water there he obviously sort of didn't get a chance to come into formula one when he finished in formula two and he's found his way over to indycar and he's proving to be pretty damn quick there's another f2 driver that moved Christian over lungard. yeah lungard as well who's also not having a bad time of things and if you can find yourself set up there, if you're enjoying the racing, if you've got a chance to make some wins, if you're having a good time on track and you're making some good dollar from it, there's no point in being too upset about not making it into the slightly toxic world of F1 if you can go to the happy Larry world of IndyCar and uh, have just as much, if not more, fun. I mean, one of the racing series gives you the chance to empty a bottle of milk onto yourself. I mean, images of Jesse doing that aside, I'm going to try, I'm going to distract him with the only thing I can, which is essentially if Jesse is a bull, this is the red flag I'm going to be waving in front of him to distract him. Go on, have your moment, Kyle Army. Right, Kyle Army. The, the talks over Kyle Army have been held. And the question is, will the return of this iconic circuit mean the booting of another one? Uh, Spa is at risk of not hosting a Grand Prix in the future due to track facilities, despite the fact that we've seen them reprofiling uh, Rouge, Radion, everything from La Source onwards, really, to try and make it a safer racetrack. The problem is f one still sort of kicking its heels over track facilities and narrow pit lane and so on and so forth. They've basically found a load of really small issues with the circuit that WEC and classic events don't seem to have. You have all sorts of different sports car and endurance racing events at Spa that have huge grids and none of them seem to moan about the paddock or the pits and the same with classic events that have a myriad of different series racing in them and they all seem to find space and time in the pits. This is F1 being a bit prissy but also potentially trying to open up a gap for South African money and I say South African money, South Africa is looking at pouring a lot of money into motorsport at the moment they've got a formula e race that's set to head to cape down in the next season so obviously doubling up 2023 in south africa you'll have potentially a grand prix and a formula e race 
even if they make it a double weekend, that's double bubble for South Africa motorsport wise. It's it's looking promising for South Africa, but again, when it comes to Spa and its future, Dominic Ali has said that the success of the Dutch Grand Prix last year proved that when it comes to hosting a race in that part of Europe, the Netherlands are perfectly capable of putting on a show. And although it's an easy comparison to make when last year Spa was a bit of a washed out farce of a race, uh, previously Spa has proved to be an absolutely fantastic circuit with some absolutely indomitable racing. It's I don't think you can compare it to Zandvoort, and Zandvoort for me was a bit of a snooze fest. I, it put on a good spectacle, it was great for the Dutch fans, and they probably saw a huge revenue from that, but uh, let's let's keep Spa over Zandvoort for me, honestly. And So if we, if we have to lose anything, or put something on rotation, get rid of France, or get rid of Austria, because again, two tracks where France is at the moment, Austria... If it's not Red Bull winning, something has happened that doesn't usually happen. And <clears throat> Sandbolt, like you say, pretty track, but not an awful lot happened there last year. It just looked cool to watch some cars go on some banked corners, but that was about it. And, okay, we kind of have this thing of we're re-judging some of the tracks because of the new regulations this year, but at the same time, like Nabila was saying earlier, we've only got really three teams capable of doing anything at the moment, and one of them doesn't appear to have any strategists one of them hasn't figured out how to fix his car properly yet and the other one is red bull so chances are we already know how that race is going to go at this rate so if we and the, the comment about Zandvoort, it's like we know it can host a race and it was doing a job that was never the question it's why are you trying to bin off spa one of the most iconic race circuits in the world in exchange for kailani maybe don't have four races in the middle east and three in america get rid of at least two of those and then have Africa in there as well and actually make it a proper global calendar, rant over. You could probably get rid of some in Europe. There are a lot in Europe. Austria, France and Zandvoort, I got rid of three in one sentence, really. <laughs> I would like to keep Zandvoort and Austria, but rotating, which is sort of leads me on to my next point, which was a case of the French Grand Prix is supposed to also be at risk for its future. And they're looking at making it a rotating circuit, which is an idea I did bring up in my Could You Have a 31 Race Calendar video a few months back, which I keep harking back to. Um, China is supposed to be coming back next year as well. And the fact of the matter is that 2023 is also going to see Qatar start its uh, 10-year contract with Formula One. It's a busy, busy calendar which means that space is going to be at a premium. And Stefano Domenicali remarked that if all hosts were given a contract, the calendar would be 30 races long. Steph, my boy, A, that's doable if you plan it properly, like see my video, but also if you don't want to have 30 races there, let's bin off some of the terrible ones. Let's get rid of France, which last or year... Or we do or, my suggestion and have non-championship races where you bring in the F2 and reserve drivers and you just stick them all in the car and you have a... How again? We've used the example previously of how much more exciting would Miami have been if it was twenty completely different drivers who using the reserves or from the driver academies. You wouldn't. You'd have taken the race we got with different drivers, and it wouldn't have been such a snobfest. Albert versus Chadwick versus Giovinazzi for the win at mm. Miami. That would have been exciting. I don't see the point nor the initiative to do it, other than it would probably cost F one teams a lot of money. It costs them a lot of money to go and do the racing anyway. They might as well keep it interesting. Either the budget. Otherwise, you're going to have. Otherwise, you're going to have. Well, you make. They need to fix that anyway. But you need to have keep it excited because you're already having fans with this season. And if it wasn't for last season being as interesting as it was, you'd have some races there where they'd be thinking about it. Where okay, I love F1, but I'm not going to watch all of these races because there's too darn many of them. So which ones do I know from track records? Am I going to risk missing because I don't mind because I don't think I'm going to miss anything and there's going to be at least five or six on the calendar next year where you think yeah if I miss that I don't mind too much or I'll just catch up on the highlights a lot not more time saved there and okay you're getting <clears throat> a lot of more casual viewers because of Drive to Survive and that's great but you need to keep them there and you definitely need to keep the loyal fans who've been there from as close to the beginning as they can if there's anyone still old enough to watch the 1950 season, but you take my point, and need to have that balance there, and just going for quantity over quality, not going to help you. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. 
I think it's also, though, a lot of the drivers are already starting to go. The race calendar is getting way too long. I don't know how many would agree with a 30 car champ, sorry, 30 race championship because they're already away from home enough. And like Perez has definitely been outspoken about the fact that like it's way too many weekends away from home and they don't really have a life outside of it. So I think you definitely have to just start being pickier and be like, well, which ones have the most interest? And I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely all for the race in South Africa because you're missing Africa as a continent on the race calendar. (coughs) And I mean, well, that's where my ancestry is from, so I'm kind of biased, but I just think it would be cool to have every continent represented in the races. So, yeah. I think the other circuit that's also up for debate at the moment is Monaco, which I think we probably touched on it around the Monaco Grand Prix time. And it's Do not make me get my sword and shield out and fight you all on this one again. It's a beautiful circuit. I really like it, but the racing is by and large. No, 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 but. No, but. And... Monaco is starting to no get no end. No, Monaco is starting oh, to get up oh, F1's chuff oh. because, as much as they make various concessions for it, um, Monaco wants its sort of unique and individual sponsorship. It wants its own TV rights. It has paid the lowest race hosting fees. Is it's... F1 making such a small amount of money that it can't make a compromise for bloody Monaco? Get over themselves, make the deal, keep it on there, bugger off next. Well, this is the thing: is F1 being run too much like a business and not enough like yes. A... Easy question. Easy easy answer from Demo. So we reckon, although Stefano Domenicali did say that potentially Monaco and France would be the ones that would be circling. Sort of. There you go, France. There we go. Easy. Next. No, you. One year you have France. One year you have Monaco. No, no, just been off France. There we go. Why don't we go back to a European Grand Prix? That just. Yeah, but yeah, but that should be in Valencia. Yeah, but then you can alternate around Spain, France, Austria, although I quite like Austria. but See, I like Austria as well. I don't think it should be binned off, but I think if you're going to keep one of Max Verstappen's home races, scratch Zandvoort and I have Austria because Austria has provided good racing. And, I mean, we had double headers there, and even the double headers were I good. think it's just a bit of Austria fatigue at this point. Needs, yeah. could it could do with a year break and then come back or something if we're gonna if if you need to try it out for next year then bring it back for 24 just to calm everything down and then then maybe have this alternating thing or this European Grand Prix like you're suggesting. And I really want the German Grand Prix to come back. Either Hockenheim or Nürburgring. Well apparently German Grand would be nice. What I both of the circuits have at previous points recently put their names forward. And again, this is the thing that Domenicali says when he's got 30 different hosts sort of baying for his attention. And he's got to pick at least 23 of them. Well, it brings the point back to stop treating like a bloody business because you're going to succeed at that regardless. You're in charge of Formula One. Few people have heard of that. They're going to spend some money and treat it like a sport. Go for the best ones. Because, you know, you're not going to, you can put all the money you want into the Saudi track and it's still going to be eh, as a track. But if you've got something like Monaco or you've got Monza, it's always a perfect track every time because it's just, there's a reason it's been there since day one, essentially. I would say scrap one of, I mean, there's two Italian ones now, isn't there? Oh yeah, we don't need Dimmer life. Yeah, exactly. So I would just scrap one of them and throw in. I mean, there was always great racing <laughs> at in Germany, so I definitely am all for that as well. I think that's Imagine a great idea. if we had that weather from Imola in the Nurburgring at the same time this year. I feel like that would have been a lot more fun. It would have been oh. fun, but technically Imola isn't an Italian Grand Prix. It comes from the Principality of uh, Imola. It's a completely different region. I still won't get rid of I quite like both Italian Grand Prix. I like both Italian Grand Prix. It's an excuse to have more pizza and pasta in my life, which is nothing that yes, I'm but you don't need a Grand Prix for that. You just go down to the shops. Yeah. Did you not watch both series of Formula Food where I just used it as an excuse to eat Italian food? No. Well, then that's your loss. Anyway, <laughs> we'll move on to our next point where, in reality... Um, if we're talking food, it will be poutine for this next point. I'll let Ellie May explain why. 
Yeah, so there's been rumours that Williams are essentially going to do a Red Bull and replace Latifi halfway through the season. But Latifi has denied these claims, stating that he will be racing until the end of the season. But what about next season? Otmar Schaffnau said, do they call it a team principal press conference? Yeah. That um, Oscar Piastri will most certainly be in F1 next year. Probably the most likely option is that he'll go to Williams. But what does that then mean for drivers like Nick de Vries or any upcoming F2 drivers? Let me get my mind map back out again. I've got to redraw this. Please don't do that. Because it, it does beg the question, what happens to Nick de Vries? What happens to Piastri? And then also, if you're trying to force two new drivers into Williams, what happens to Albon? Does all of a sudden a Red Bull seat reappear for him? But we've obviously had, uh, well, we've had the news that Gasly is hanging around at Alpha Tauri. So there's already all, nearly all the seats that the Red Bull F1 teams are full. So they can't really bump Albon back up to Alpha Tauri at the sake of Yuki Tsunoda, who, if my. Child... Al- Albon and Piastri and Williams. Vettel retires because he's fed up with Aston Martin just being Aston Martin and you stick either De Vries in there or Ricardo gets the boot from them and he goes to Aston Martin and you stick De Vries in McLaren. What about Drogovic? Where's he going when he wins F2? He should just replace Stroll and Lawrence gets some common sense and replaces his son because he realises that's not how this works and he's had he's on borrowed time for the last five years in F1 anyway so I'll just stick Drogovic in there. There we go. Drogovic and Drogovic and De Vries for, for Aston Martin 2023. If that's not a wacky prediction, then crikey almighty, what do I have to do? It's not a bad prediction. I mean, Yuki Tsunoda has definitely earned his place in the team. This season, up until Azerbaijan, where he had his wing issue, he was leading Pierre Gasly 12th place to 14th place. And then obviously he suffered his wing issue and Gasly got his points, which meant that the gap uh, closed up and inverted. Gasly ended up 10th after that and Tsunoda 15th. So they've got two very almost equally matched drivers this year. It's tricky to tell the two apart. But it's also the solution for being if there's any drivers left over that we need to deal with, we solved this earlier, we whip them into IndyCar or Formula E. There we go. And then come 2024, when Perez's contract runs out, we figure it out then. How expensive is it to buy an IndyCar team? Because we always joke about getting an F1 You team. look at me like I have that number to hand. I, I don't. I just assume it's probably easier and cheaper to get an IndyCar team than it is our fictional F1 mm-hmm. team. That's all I'm saying. Probably. You can definitely raise money quicker in the US. Just go out and talk to a ton of people. Everyone's willing to spend money. Plus, with back at, IndyCar is a massive business out here. But many, many companies will be interested in it. So probably a lot cheaper than F1. Americans like spending money. The Mooks is true. IndyCar team. I reckon it could work. I want to get my Jaffa cake livery done properly. I'm not going to lie. I've already considered if there's any chance of me getting an IndyCar team. It's, I think it is. We're going to be rivals already. This didn't go to plan, Jesse. We're not even in yet, and we've already got a rival. Damn. No, no, you can come join my team. Oh, okay. The problem no. is, I think Jesse would probably try and will his way into being one of the drivers. Uh, <laughs> you, you beat me to it, but yes. <laughs> you know what? The, the way we solve that is we just stick a really good VR headset on him and just give him a glass of milk so he can feel, feel like a winner at the end. You create a team that's got an Indy Lights team and you can go for that. <clears throat> Sounds like a plan. It's not like I've already just started a career anyway, but that's not the point. Anyway, more to the fact of it, Pierre Gasly's career is going to continue on beyond the end of this year because he has signed up for Alpha Tauri, which is good news for him. Uh, although he hasn't made it on our list of winners nor our list of spinners, which is our next section. So I'll let Timo start off with his winner from the Canadian Grand Prix. It was honestly tricky because I felt like there was a lot of potential for a lot of drivers from everything through practice to qualifying to just before the lights went out in the race and then it kind of went the wrong way for Everyone except Max. Um, and I could have put him on there, but I put Mercedes just for the point of, again, and it kind of shows my feelings for towards the whole Grand Prix that 
the best people I thought for, for this race were Mercedes because they were once again in the right place at the right time and they got three and four. So they got another podium, another bit of a crawling up on the points of the constructors. Hamilton gets that ego boost for getting another podium, which he's not had since the opening race of the year. And it's just they know that they've got a box of a car and they keep improving it. Not enough at the moment. They keep trying different things and it seems to be whatever they do. Listen to George because George seems to be able to get that car in the in the window every time at the moment where he needs to, unless it's in qualifying on slicks in the wet. But you know, you've got to try these things. Um, and and annoy Jensen Button in the process. If you saw that on Sky, it's the one time he's been annoyed at him. It's quite amusing. Um, but yeah, no, Mercedes and weirdly Max Verstappen. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to include him in that because it was just they did everything they needed to, and everyone else kind of didn't. I'll also my I'll give him a special shout out. One of our he's our biggest fan of the podcast. My dad. <laughs> he, I thought you were looking for your cat then. <laughs> there is one right here next to me. Um, he said that no driver so far that's gone fastest in FP1 has then gone on to re- win the race, and Max Verstappen has now done that. That's that a statistic that's going to please Jesse in a weird way. That is a nice statistic. Although one statistic I do have, and this is going to completely shoot apart Timo's winner, and um, I think he's we'll where Mercedes was still half a second a lap slower than the top two drivers this weekend, which when you're re- literally at that point, it puts you relying on to someone in the top four to have a problem to even get one of your drivers close to the podium. Like every time we've had a Mercedes on the podium, hasn't there been a Red Bull or Ferrari or both missing from that top four pack? I'll reiterate the point of you've still got to finish a race to get points. You still which would have is absolutely the useless if you've got a Ferrari or a Red Bull, which, depending on who's driving the car anyway at this point, might be useless anyway. Um, so, yeah, I'd rather take a slower car and finish and get some points and be steady. I mean, there's still no mechanical retirements, no DNFs of any kind this season for either of them. And, yeah, come on with your statistic, but I'd take a slower car. But when they sort of claim to be having this progress, but they're still half a second a lap slower. Around yeah, we're assuming that Ferrari and Red Bull are just twiddling, well, okay, we're assuming Red Bull are just twiddling their thumbs and not doing anything, when obviously they're still going to be making improvements all the time. I mean, Ferrari, I don't know, that's just them lucking out, I guess. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, okay, it's not the improvements we want to see. It's not quite as quick as we want it to be. It's probably annoying them more than it annoys me, but I'll stick to my point of, yeah, you still got to finish a race to get points. They're going to be nearly half a minute behind by the end of Silverstone, just off of lap difference alone. That's if, yeah, you say that if the people in front of them all don't crash or have mechanical failure of some kind. They could still get a 1-2 in Silverstone. Yeah, but so far Mercedes have been more consistently scoring fourth-fifths. Yeah, shit happens though, doesn't it? So We'll have to wait and see, but I just can't... I can appreciate why you... Compared to everyone else on the grid, aside from Max, I couldn't say anyone else had a good race, really, compared to everything up to that point. I mean, the fact is, I don't know why I'm having a go at you for being a Mercedes fan, because I'm literally <laughs> the biggest clown of the lot, because I'm a huge Ferrari fan, and I don't know why. But Don't worry, I'll get paid back in a minute. <laughs> I'm just sort of staring down at you for my prancing high horse, and just going, ah, you picked a terrible team. It's prancing around when it should be doing some show jumping, you know, like, this is the wrong, I need to be over here. Yeah, point. that's not the point. The case of the matter is that you've still got a slow car and occasionally if you want a podium like the crowning glory, you've got to rely on someone else to have an issue. And you're riding a horse and you should be riding a bull. Ah, true. Anyway, uh, I'll stop picking on Timo and I'll jump straight onto my winner, which was uh, Carlos Sainz, who had a bit of a fantastic drive this weekend, a bit of a resurrection drive. He had a good drive last weekend as well, out in tries to remember where we were last weekend, Azerbaijan. Yeah, obviously he had a bit of a terrible weekend there, suffering from mechanical maladies. But this weekend, much like Monza, not Monza, Monaco, I'm trying to get my words correct, he proved that he has still got a good handle on that car and can still extract a good turn of speed from it and be up there competing in that top four of drivers. And he's not 
quite there to get past Max. I will give him that. He threw everything at it, but I think Max just had more to defend with. I don't think the Ferrari setup was quite there. It seemed to be a bit sort of rear end struggling, trying to come out of that hairpin at the top of the circuit. He was essentially at a disadvantage and just needed a bit more DRS to get past. But I think it's a balancing act. Ferrari is starting to find the balance of that car. And Carlos is finding his balance with the car just as much. And I, it'll be a hard push if he wants to come back and win the season from where he is at the moment, which is uh, currently in, Christ, I don't know off the top of my head, fifth place, isn't he, in the championship? Yeah, fifth place in the championship. Who, who's the ahead of him there, Jesse? Uh, who, who's who's the driver ahead of him? George, oh, is, is that a Mercedes driver? Yeah, by, but... By finishing a race? Just oh. basically finishing races. That's not the point. Crucially as well... He kept pressure on Max and didn't do what Leclerc did when under pressure and kind of spin out at Imola. Exactly. He didn't do a Charles Leclerc at Imola, which I think is commendable, to be fair. And Imola was wet, though. Yeah, that's true, but Charles Leclerc was... didn't play better. Okay, we'll get that. Before Timo and I start yet another argument, Ellie, why don't you distract us with your winner? I have two, and they're probably both kind of unassuming. Um, a lot One of them definitely is. <laughs> they're a lot further down the grid, but my first one is Albon. He made a Q2 appearance, and I think he what he finished the race in the 13th, and I don't think that quite did him justice and was representative of his actual race and his kind of performance. I think it was more that the car kind of let him down in that the Williams isn't there. But he was he was up in 10th for the first half of the race. He put in some brilliant defending for quite a while and held Bottas and Leclerc up behind him. And he kind of really made them fight to get past him. And then he was just really unfortunate with that pit stop in that he pitted the lap before Mick retired. So he probably fell down the order more than he perhaps would have if he had pitted in the when the virtual safety car was on but I thought he did a he did a pretty good job and then my second one is Lance Stroll (laughs) because he didn't have a that bad of a Canadian Grand Prix his own home race the the most of the race well he let me start that again (laughs) um the most of the race he was driving within the points. He kept Guan Yu Zhou behind him and Guan Yu Zhou was on, or Joe Guan Yu, sorry, was on a lot fresher tyres than him. He then, kind of like Albon, pitted a few laps before the safety car that Sonoda brought out, which meant he fell down the order more than he perhaps could have. He then was in 13th and overtook three cars to then finish 10th. And I think wasn't a, that bad of a race and he didn't do a stroll so well, are we just applauding stroll for not being himself there yeah really? basically and um, that he got a point for aston martin well done stroll for not strolling i think that's that's yeah. the summation point there Albon did have a good weekend credit where it's due he had that williams it's, it's, it's a bit like ellie may getting a point the other week for nicholas latifi finishing a race it's kind of well done you're, you're still there yeah congratulations you, you you tried. It'd also be boring if we kept being like, oh, it's the Red Bulls or the Ferraris or the Mercedes that are drivers of the day. So I'm picking people that... I think Eddie Mace trying to fight with us again, Jesse. She's taking shots at us. She basically pity-voted Lot Stroll. That's what she did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Nabila? Who was your winner for the race? Apparently, I'm about to say the wrong thing, according to Jesse, but definitely <laughs> Mercedes. <clears throat> I mean, they're the only ones, as Timo had mentioned, that hasn't had a mechanical failure. I mean, you're missing one Red Bull or Ferrari almost every race at this point, like some mechanical issue that's taken them both out. And I think Russell's doing really well to keep the streak of being in the top five. And if any more problems were to arise, I do see him climbing a lot higher in the championship standings. But also, I was very happy for Hamilton. I'm a massive Hamilton fan, so it was nice to see him back on the podium. I do think there's a lot of work that still needs to be done with that car. And yeah, okay, oh, yeah. progress for progress sakes, just not enough. 
So I'm hoping that we see a little bit more. But also, I think I'm going to throw in Leclerc in that category. I know, I know he only came fifth, but still, with what he was dealing with. Yeah, from the back of the grid and what he was dealing with, with like the Alpine kind of just didn't particularly help. But also, I think what's going to lose him this championship if he doesn't get back up is Ferrari themselves. Ferrari is their strategists are doing them no favours. They've done so many things that you've just kind of gone, do you just want to fire everyone and replace them? Because they're it, it just not on of it. The, of the Bruce Wayne meme of when he just bought the bank to to save Superman's mum's house in, in Justice League because it's like, why do Ferrari not just do that? They are the like Formula One equivalent of Bruce Wayne. Just buy whoever you need. You have the money. Exactly. You like go and buy Perez's strategist. Done. Next. Yeah. Solve it that way. Because then you think, okay, if you're still doing it wrong, then okay, then there's a more structural issue with player Ferrari. But at least you can say you bought everyone that should theoretically be doing the job there. I mean, you see it with Aston Martin. They supposedly bought everyone that was good, but they don't know how to use them. And Ferrari kind of, they've got the history. They've got 70 years of experience. And the thing I did think of and made me chuckle last night was the fact that they, at the moment, they keep going the way they go and they're going to throw away the best opportunity they've had in 14 years to win either title. And Sirius Black spent less time in prison. But I think with, in terms of moving or buying strategists from other teams, it's a lot easier for other teams because they're all based in England. So you're not asking a strategist to move that far away from each other, whilst if... Well, maybe that's Ferrari's other fault of they need to be more flexible and say, okay, clearly moving to Italy is not working for everyone because otherwise we'd have solved this issue. So you can work from wherever you want. As long as you help us get the job done, they really should... Be compromising a little bit. Mm. Well, it's interesting. You remember the the need for there to be a Mercedes, a Ferrari, or Red Bull retiring from the top sort of row. I'm trying to think back out of all the previous races. Only Imola. No, Imola obviously wasn't really a mechanical issue, which you'd specified. That was Ricardo just punting signs into the gravel. But after that, Miami, you had both Ferraris and Red Bulls finishing. Monaco, you had them both finishing. And that's it so far. Obviously, this weekend. The two out of nine. Yeah, two out of nine is... As, a, as opposed to nine poor. out of nine for Mercedes. Yeah, it's quite poor, especially when you're doubling up your odds by going across two teams, which does suggest that there is some credence to Timo's argument of slow car at least finishes races, but it's still a terrible car and still relies on other people not finishing races. Relying on someone else to not do something is... Uh, it's a bold strategy, but annoyingly so far it's paying it's, up. It's working better than any of Ferrari's strategies over the yeah, past few races. Yeah. That is the worst Ferrari part. could have, I think Leclerc could have fared a little bit better had they just pitted him under a virtual safety car earlier and kind of got that out of the way. But I just, I just feel like everything they're so far behind or they're just doing it wrong. I just love just her. Red Bull fan in the corner just sitting smugly as well. She's got nothing, nothing to say because her team's doing all right. <laughs> I mean, well, we're all Ferrari fans, through and through. <laughs> <laughs> we're all Ferrari fans, but they don't make it easy for us. No, and their pit stop with Leclerc was also terrible, and it yeah. made them fall behind. What train was it? Um, was it five the... cars, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was Ricardo, Sonoda, uh, and Vettel, yeah. and that yeah. lot. Yeah, <laughs> they do themselves no favors. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't as bad as Norris's pit stop where he sort of came in and no tyres. They sort of did a Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, Norris's race was just bad, full stop. It was pretty terrible indeed. Speaking of things that are terrible or things we think are terrible, uh, Timo, why don't you kick us off with your spinner? I've taken your winner and put him on my spinner category because Carlos signs for me because, okay, yes, he had a good race. Don't shake your head at me, every night. I see you. Um, he had a good race, which he needed for a change, which is nice, and that's good. And disclaimer, I like him as a person. I've got nothing against Carlos fans, but we're dealing with the two hours of a day where it's your job, and that kind of takes all the personal stuff out of it, makes you better do one job. And I feel like maybe this is a Carlos and a Ferrari thing here, but Bahrain and Saudi, and to an extent Australia, 
they were pretty solid. And ever since then, they've kind of been a bit too cocky. And they've been, I mean, again, they've just been a bit too full of themselves and not anticipating that Red Bull or anyone could come and touch them. And Red Bull have just kind of quietly gone about their business and then absolutely plowed into them like a freight train. And they've kind of been like, oh my God, how did they do that? Completely forgetting the Red Bull are a pretty damn good team. They love more hate. They are consistently there and have been since they kind of got themselves established. Um, and Carlos Sainz, okay, yeah. He wasn't quick enough to get there in the last 10 or so laps, and he was very close and was was trying things. But I think, using the point that he was saying earlier, he should have tried doing a move similar to, okay, he didn't, I think, look like made the mistake and Emelot caused it, but he shouldn't have been pushing that hard where he would have made a mistake or a little bit to show that at least trying to find that. You'd think at this point, considering he still hasn't had an F1 win, he'd be trying that extra little bit harder to push and just get past there. And I think <clears throat> they perfectly demonstrated why he hasn't won a race yet. You've got drivers like Max and Lewis and Fernando and Vettel, and you're seeing that with George and you're seeing it with Charles, that they have that potential too. If they will get that little bit extra out of whatever car they're in and they will be able to beat whoever is in front of them. But I think at the moment, Max on his worst day can still beat Carlos on his best day. And... Carlos is kind of, maybe he's just a very good driver that's just not meant to be a world champion. Maybe he's a Ricardo in that respect. He'll get a good few wins, but he's never going to win a championship. And that's going to be my other harsh thing today in terms of traumatising Ellie May from the look of things. Um, I would love to be wrong. I really would. But it was just, he got so close and you think this is his perfect opportunity to win a race. He had Alonso ahead of him on the start, which should have been no problem for him. It's not like he's not raced him or Max before. He knows what he's dealing with. He's been teammates with Max. He knows what Max is going to do. He was watching them all. You're always watching what your opponents are doing. None of what Max should have been doing was surprising. At no point did Max look like he was under any pressure whatsoever. And the only people who can put Max under that kind of pressure, as we've seen, are... Checo and Lewis. No one else has ever really done that from what we've seen. Ricardo maybe in the early days, but we've not really seen it from anywhere else. And Carlos just doesn't have the chops, it would seem. So seconds are well and great, but he needed to push that a little bit extra and he didn't. So he's getting very harsh treatment from me today. So as is always the case, tough lob, he'll go and win a race very soon and it'll be because of me, because he'll listen to this. And I'll take full credit. I hope he does listen to this and prove you wrong. I hope so too, but I just don't see it happening. I just don't think he had the car to overtake Max Verstappen. Red Bull are quicker. We, we had this argument in the group chat last night, but for Nabila's sake and for everyone else listening, it's the whole thing. You, and again, proving the point from Mercedes earlier, you don't need the quicker car to beat your opponents. You just need to try a few other things out and you need to be in the right place at the right time. And I think... If you'd stuck, if you'd had roles reversed and you'd put Carlos in the red ball in the lead and you'd put Max in that Ferrari, Max would have got past him. In an alternate universe where Carlos yep. stayed in the red ball program. Well, he's kicking himself. Well, I don't know if he's kicking himself over that one because if Max had still come along, he still probably would have been booted out of there quicker than no one's business. But you know, I mean, it's interesting and. I think there's merit to criticising Carlos, and I do think he could have tried something a little different. But at the end of the day, he did throw... Lewis was far enough back, and he could have tried something where even if it... I'm not saying he launched it into Wall of Champions and screw his whole race up that way, but there are other areas of the track where you can afford to make a little bit of a mistake trying something, and Lewis wouldn't have been able to get past him. Or if he had, the Ferraris quicker than the Mercedes, as you keep liking to point out, just so he'd have no trouble getting past him and keeping second. So essentially the guarantee of second and not really trying for much else or just risk it. You're going to get second anyway. Mm. I think we've definitely spoken enough about Carlos Sainz, so it's time to move on to someone else, although still with a Ferrari power unit in the back of their car. And my spinner from this weekend is Haas. And my notes simply say, my brother in Christ, what sacred idol did you lot deface? Because they just cannot catch a break. Last weekend, we had them suffering reliability issues with 
um, Kevin, and then this week it was Mick suffering them, and they just cannot catch a break. I'll pull up a quick my spreadsheet and have a look and just see what was the last time Haas scored points because it's gonna have been a while. Let's see, do 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 Haas 12, 12, 12, 15, 15, 15. So Haas have not scored points since Imola. That's a long old time, and Obviously, they didn't bring any updates to Spain. I don't know if they've brought any updates since, but they're going to have to do something pretty impressive in Silverstone to even have a chance of bringing the fight back to Aston Martin, who have now overtaken them in the standings. They had good luck in the wet weather. They had the right drivers in the right setup on track at the right time. They got both drivers into Q3. Impressive. Do we know what happened to Mick in the race? I haven't found out why he retired. It... I swear to God, if it's another bloody water coolant thing, then, oh my God, they need to sort that out because it's the most trouble. You've never heard of them having so much trouble with the water coolant ever in Formula 1. Let's see. Mick Schumacher, Canada retirement. Do, 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 do. Um... That system, I think Haas are bringing upgrades in Paul Ricard, so they've still got a lot of time like they're going to be floundering for a long while. Um, that's listening to team messages. I can't do that. Let's see. It at the moment. Say, you only heard on the team radio was them apologising to him and him then just swearing, which in itself from Mick he doesn't swear. He doesn't know how to. He's too sweet. Yeah, it was just the it, mostly it was the team just apologising to him for the sort of just how badly it went. Let's see Canadian Grand Prix Sunday race recap. Maybe it turns out they gave him his old teammate's car from last year and that's why he's doing so badly. Just says power unit issue. They haven't gone into specifying what went wrong with their car. Power unit. Which is annoying because they came into the season looking like they could do some genuine damage to the midfield and all they seem to have done is damage their own cars repeatedly and uh, earned themselves a couple of meatball flags which uh, really ruined Kevin's race as well. And I think they could have gotten away with running that car in the state it was in. I would like to have seen Kevin fight the car with a few sort of lost points of downforce. And he could have handled the car. And I don't think it was too dangerous of a part that was coming loose. It was a front wing end plate, pretty small in a well-fenced circuit in Canada. And you haven't got crowds right up close to the circuit at too many points, especially around the back end of the circuit where it's going to come loose. Maybe we need to get K-Mag into Nitro RX and Avila. With that kind of damage, he'd continue and have no problem whatsoever there. He'd have a lot more fun. Absolutely. Even rallying. That was, yeah, I agree. They didn't need to pull him off for that, but you've got to do what the FIA says. Yeah. So Questionable at times, but, you know. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast we're planning, don't worry. Oh, yeah. But yeah, sucks to be has this weekend. Hopefully things will be better for them next weekend, or at least when they finally bring some upgrades to the VF22 for Spain. Ellie, we'll open up to your spinner from this weekend then. This really pains me to say because, well, the two guys know, but in the, in the group chat, probably about every day, I always say how much I love Fernando Alonso, but he is my spinner. He... I mean, the race was pretty terrible for him. Not much went right. He had pretty poor strategy. I don't really understand why Alpine didn't pit him under either of the two virtual safety cars. And then he had an engine problem from lap 20 onwards, which meant after his pit stop, he then fell behind Ocon. And then Ocon was managing his pace in order to keep Alonso in DRS range of him so that others couldn't then overtake Alonso and keep sort of track position. And then in the end, he got a penalty for weaving down the straight anyway. So it was it was just a pretty poor race. But it had so much potential from his second in qualifying. Yeah, there, there was a lot of potential for Alonso to do a lot of damage and really shake up the front end of the field this weekend and just never materialised. He sort of had the pace from the offset and then just... Alpine's pit strategy never quite paid off. I think, I don't think the two sort of mixed safety cars sort of didn't pay, play in their favour. And 
just sort of tumbled down the order and he was suffering from i think a power issue as well he was suffering with uh battery deployment i think it was so he didn't have quite the same amount of horsepower so he really needed that tow from ocon to even stay sort of anywhere near where he was on track so it's yeah unfortunate and i can see why he's a spinner but he'll come back he'll come back he'll get his podium and we'll wait and see so there's one spinner left. Nabila, who who do you think suffered this weekend? Who didn't do so well in your books? I want to throw out the obvious Sonoda because there was absolutely no reason to come out of the pits and hit the wall. Do you know what I mean? Like he was he, he had a pretty solid race. There was that kind of like trail of cars. He was in the pretty sure he was in the points at that point. And and I don't know what he was doing. He was just doing a Yuki and just not paying attention I guess because that's what was making him suffer last year but but this year generally he's been a lot better and and yeah I just thought it was just disappointing so you're not mad you're disappointed yeah it's just kind of stupid really wasn't it I mean literally no point like what he was trying to do I don't know because he literally like shot out of the pits and then couldn't even make the turn so I think it was cold tyres, but again, it's something that last year yeah, he would have gotten away with, but this year he should know how to deal with it. Exactly, but if you watch the replay, he did kind of try to accelerate way too quickly, knowing you're on cold tyres. I just think, like, you're an F1 driver, you know these things, do you know what I mean? Like, there's so many people, and that was the biggest thing I always watch people when, like, with cold tyres. They're just not your friend, like, just don't do anything stupid. Get out and then do what you need to do. Yeah, Yuki was running P10 when he left the pits and then immediately yeah. chucked himself in the wall. Although apparently there is a bit of an odd bump on the exit of the uh, pit exit in Canada that does throw drivers. To be fair, was there all weekend and wasn't hiding from him. It wasn't hiding from him. This is the first time he's raced at the circuit, especially in an F1 car. I don't know, perhaps I'm trying to make too much of If, if it was practice, I would understand it, but it's yeah. the race and he's had the right decisions. He's in the wet and it was in the dry as well, so he can't even blame the rain on it. I don't know if he was trying to beat anyone to pit exit at that point, if he was trying to stay ahead of Charles Leclerc, who was coming back through, who had uh, not long pitted himself. So Charles would have been on a fast, essentially his first... And he wouldn't have stayed ahead of Leclerc anyway. That's why said the Alpha Tauri is not quicker than... The, yeah. He's not better than the Ferrari in any way. So At that point, he was racing him for, still racing him for position on track, that final points position. It... It's, yeah, it's but the clock was going to be up ahead. He should he could have should have just stayed behind, followed him up to the next person, and then leapfrogged Stroll or whoever it was. Yeah, it it just screams rookie error from Yuki, and I don't want to see that creep back in, especially after having a fairly strong season when he's had a car that finishes and doesn't suffer. So it's I can appreciate why he's picked as a spinner. Just do better, my man. Do better. Yeah, that's it. Just you know, don't. Don't go back to being last year's Yuki from the beginning of the year. You know, like you've grown as a person. You're well, driving so we, 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 we sent him from Milton Keynes to Italy to try and fix him. Where do we send him this time? <laughs> I don't know. Back to the UK, but not Milton Keynes. Hull. Oof. There's anywhere worse than Milton Keynes, it's Hull. Um, speaking of things that didn't go quite to plan or are worse than Milton Keynes. Our predictions for the Canadian Grand Prix. Let's see, race by race predictions. So uh, we'll keep it simple. Um, team you one for me. You you scored a. Oh no, that's Monaco. Um, Canada. You yeah, you scored a point here. Actually, I did award you a point for Ferrari. Have, for Ferrari, have a good strategy where they they didn't throw it away compared to how they usually do. So I felt kind and gave you a point. I love, I love I how I normally disagree with that, but mm-hmm. I'm going to take it for this one because it's going to make no difference to me overall anyway. It's not going to make too much difference to you overall. I scored no points with a Perez pole, a Perez first, Leclerc second, Norris third. You know what? I'm suddenly feeling cheered up because regardless of everything else, I beat Jesse in a prediction thing for once. Yeah, so. as Daphne fastest lap and my madcap prediction of five DNFs, which did look like they were going to come eventually. We saw a lot of cars dropping out. but uh, If your weather prediction had been correct, then you might have got that. Yeah, maybe. Um, the guest from last week we had Jacob on. So this is this is essentially Nabila. You're going to have to uh, you're going to have to stand up for someone else's predictions here, which was Leclerc pole, Leclerc win, Verstappen second, Perez third, Leclerc fastest lap, and the Groundhog related VSC. 
of which we saw none of those things. So, I mean, the... to be fair though, it's good that Jacob wasn't right for a change. We need that as the other members of the podcast for this prediction re- review because normally he does a surprisingly good job of accurately predicting what's going to happen. I mean, the last time he predicted, I was point called... this time. yeah, <laughs> is Ellie um... May the new Jacob? <laughs> Ellie Mae didn't get four points. No, she got two all in. Um, she got point for Verstappen pole, point for Verstappen win. So that's her two points. But the worst thing is that that now means she and I are tied on overall points at seven apiece. Despite the fact that Ellie Mae wasn't actually on the podcast for the first four races of the season. So she has a better race by race average for point scoring. Uh, so it's seven apiece between myself and Ellie May. The guest, as an amalgamous person, is on six, and Timo still lags behind on five. I'm amazed I've got five. I thought I was on four. Yeah. I'll it, take that. You're, you're keeping, I can still do this. It's only race nine. Yeah, you're doing a Mercedes. You're just, just scoring a point every now and then, just waiting for me or Ellie May to just. You score. wait till Abu Dhabi. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of changes in order, it's time for our Constructors Countdown. It's no change at the bottom, with Williams suffering from another pointless week. Dropping to ninth place after suffering more bad luck, Haas still on 15 points, failing to score since Imola. Usurping the American outfit for eighth, Aston Martin courtesy of a sole point for Canadian Stroll. Seventh place is being held on to by Alpha Tauri, although the fight for fourth is rather getting away from them. Sixth place is home to the resurgent Alfa Romeo, now hunting down the French outfit of Alpine in fifth place, just six points separating them at the moment. McLaren are clinging on to the fourth place, but after failing to score in Canada, they are just eight points ahead of former engine supplier Alpine. Third place, but with their challenge against Ferrari dampened by the Scuderia's surprisingly competent weekend, Mercedes. Second place, and now into the 200 club, Ferrari. And still in first place with a lead diminished by just four points, despite having only one runner, it's Red Bull on a whopping 304 points. So from the Constructors' standings to our Fantasy League review, and uh, this week I'm not being self-congratulatory, actually. Congratulations this week go to Jim K and Pastor Jesus' Reawakening on scoring 212 points, the highest score on our Fantasy League this week. Uh, I really ought to put out an honourable mention to Georgia as well for second place and her team entirely staffed with the tallest driver she could afford. A uh, bit of a weird strategy, but it sort of paid off for her, which was simply a case of you're tall, you're tall, you're tall, you're tall, you're tall, and then a constructor with whatever was left over. Um, somehow that paid off for her. Not a strong week for me. Eighth and ninth with Jaffa Cake Racing and BRT. And uh, had it not been for that meatball flag and Kevin scoring some points, I would have had a nice little haul. Although speaking of a little haul, um, yet another week for Timo struggles as uh, didn't break triple figures again, did you? Uh, just 83 If we base this off... Getting points for cursing people, I would be winning so hard. Yeah, if this was, if the game... Because whoever I, whoever I touch, they just do not have a good time at all. Could you do a team that's got Latifi, Stroll, uh, who else do I don't, don't I have? I don't think I've got Ocon in any of my teams for some reason. No, it's, I think if anything, I'm going to look at your two teams and change my two teams to your two teams. Um, Please don't do that. Could you have yeah. Ricardo, uh, yeah, Ricardo, Ocon, Latifi, and uh, no, please do it because it will make my teams just that bit more perfect. No, but as, as I was saying, I think to either one or both of you, I'm the reason that Perez had such a bad time with it because I had him as my uh, my turbo driver for this weekend, so well, that's why he didn't finish the race. And I'm also responsible for Vettel not doing too well and Albon not getting any points. And uh, the, the others did all right in comparison. But I had Ocon, I had Leclerc, so, you know, but it was not enough to, to salvage the, the terrible disappointment that I'd had. By sub- sabotaging Albon, you sabotaged my predictions that Williams were going to be in the points this, this race. If I'm mean to him, I've got to be mean to you. I don't make the rules. He's at least fair with the other hosts as to how he's mean. 
It's the perfect point to end on. It's time for our conclusion. Does anyone have any final points they'd like to put out on the podcast? I'm looking forward to Silverstone. I'm looking forward to it too. I'm really looking forward to the Saturday. It'd be nice to get back trackside and see some Formula 1 cars go zoom. So, of course, Timo can be found at On The Curbs, Is It Fast, Paddock Sorority, Supercar Blondie, and Instagram, as well as the unofficial Nitro Rallycross podcast, which uh, is his new thing that he started up with Nabila, which is uh, quite exciting and jolly well worth a listen. It very much is, and you should listen to it as well when you're not busy, also being found on Instagram, YouTube, which is probably where you're watching listening to this, and when you're working for your car magazine. This is very true. And of course, our good co-host Ellie May can be found on the Undercut Podcast's Instagram where she writes her key takeaways from each Grand Prix. And they are fantastic, actually. I really enjoy um, doing the graphics for them each week. They're some brilliantly written pieces of work, so you should definitely go and check those out. And Nabila, obviously, she can be found on the Unofficial Matriarch Podcast along with myself because we need a dynamic duo for that and she was the obvious choice and also it was her idea, so it makes sense that she is there. Um, she's also on TikTok and all the social medias. So, yeah, like we said at the end of our podcast, come and talk to us about it and listen to us because we want you to and it's good fun and we have a laugh. There we are. So you can join us again next week for our preview of the Silverstone Grand Prix. <laughs>